0: Well, welcome, everybody. Tonight, we're going to be hearing from Katie Byers. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Katie and then her topic. Uh, Katie is a licensed clinical social worker with over 15 years of experience in the field of addiction and recovery. She started her career as a family therapist at a local treatment facility, and although it's been many years since being in that role, working with parents and family members remains near and dear to her heart. Katie served as the executive director at Care in Atlanta Outpatient, which is a very well-known, great program, and now has a private practice known as Release with Katie, as well as specializing in coaching. Tonight, she's going to talk about responding versus reacting. Um, That responding versus reacting has a major impact on the direction of conversation. Gaining perspective and control during difficult times can help us pause, breathe, and respond rather than react and then regret, some of which I know very well. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure in these heated situations. So Katie is going to tell us during this talk uh, how, what we'll learn and what we can do before you have to do it. So she's going to equip us when that situation arrives. So Katie, I'm going to pray for you, then I'm going to welcome you to the podium. Father, just thank you for Katie, Lord, and her heart for to be here tonight and share wisdom that you've given her over the years tell parents like us that are hurting and need direction father we just pray that you will speak through her in a mighty way and that we, we will be left with the words of hope and encouragement and it's in jesus name that i pray amen welcome katie
1: my name is katie i am a compulsive overeater bulimic and alcoholic hi katie, hi, katie. you all say hi. that's how it works welcome. thank you thank you um, I've been in um, other meetings where we will say, like, hi, my name's Katie, and then I want to say all the rest of it, and I have to remind myself, that's not that's not this meeting. Um, but I, I share that with you, and I am going to give a little bit of background on my story, um, how I got to the seat. Um, and it's been quite a journey. There's, it's not a straight line from point A to point B. My journey has been very messy and lots of ups and downs and backs and forths. And, um, and that's also the beauty of my story. Um, and so I'll start with just, I became a, a bulimic um, compulsive overeater at the age of 10. Um, my parents are divorced. I found comfort in food. I found that that was my, when I could consume copious amounts of sugar, I could sit and just kind of go, ah. and I felt safe. Um, that safety only lasted so long before food really started to create a lot of tragedy in my life. Um, I won't ask, but anybody in this room who may have issues with food, um, we know that it's in front of us. My drug of choice is in front of me three times a day or more. Um, and so for like that alcoholic, which I also am, I'm like I'm a triple winner, by the way. Um, alcohol and, and other drugs I can get away from, but the food and the comfort that I often think food will bring me, um, that is around me all the time. And so my program, working a program, I, I'd go to Overeaters Anonymous, um, that has helped me create a different type of relationship with food. But I'll tell you, it's kind of like a whack-a-mole game. Um, when one thing pops up and you get it under, under control, air quotes, something else pops up. And so it wasn't long. Um, well, it manifested and in, in kind of, I'm a binge drinker. Um, I can go long periods of time without drinking at all, which is a huge Um, detriment to my ability to see that I had a problem. Um, I wasn't under a bridge. I wasn't, I didn't lose my job. My family hadn't left me yet. I just tend to go a little too far when I do drink. Well, that is um, a a sad way for me to justify a lot of my behaviors for years. Um, And so it wasn't until really 2019, um, I got sober from alcohol. And it was in the midst of um, being in a very high-profile um, executive position at a treatment facility. <laughs> That's super hard to navigate. Who do you ask for help when you're the CEO of the treatment facility? We well, don't. You sit in shame and fear and you hide. And, and you do all the things that, that we do when we're addicts and alcoholics. And um, so... My story, though, is one of hope in that um, I've been in recovery from food addiction for almost nine years. My son is eight. Um, I got into recovery when I was pregnant. I thought I was going to either hurt him or myself um, and, and not have a healthy pregnancy. And so God intervened. If you ever hear God does for you what you cannot do for yourself when you get out of the way. That's my story anyway. Um, and God intervened in a big way and um, I got recovery. And, and it was through my journey through Overeaters Anonymous and just the fact that I've been in the industry, I've been a healthcare provider for over 15 years, working with families, working with patients, working with um, parents, all the different dynamics that come up within the, the life and the journey of an addict or alcoholic. I knew it. I I could teach it. I do teach it. I, and then I, and then it was me. It was me, and I couldn't. um, I couldn't talk about it for a really long time. And it's obviously getting easier. And the shame. But I'm no different than any other alcoholic or addict. I feel and fear and worry, just like anybody else does. And so. It's important, I think, when we come into these conversations to just kind of acknowledge our humanity um, and just like our our flesh, (laughs) right? Like things hurt and we do not get, we don't have a lot of control over a lot of things. I don't know if you guys know this or not. I don't know if anybody's told you, you don't have a lot of control over a lot of things outside. I like to, to say if I had like a, just a mini hula hoop around me, I can control what's inside my hula hoop on a good day. Sometimes that's up for debate right? as we age, <laughs> but, but it, I have to recognize that my humanity does not, or my, my roles in life, my positions that I have in different fields or different um, treatment facilities, it doesn't change that I am human and that I struggle, and so I think that's important to know, um, especially sitting where you're sitting because I've sat where you are sitting. In different capacities. And I've heard people share and talk and um, really smart, really capable, really bright, engaging people. But if I don't know a little bit of where they've been from to know that they get where I'm coming from, it makes it hard to connect. And so I am an open book. Um, I will absolutely stay for questions. We will have q and I'll stay after if anybody's shy and doesn't want to raise their hand and ask a question in front of everybody. Although I will encourage you, if you are thinking it or, or wondering it, someone else in the room is too. Um, there are no silly questions. And um, But if you have questions about anything that I say, let me know. Um, this kind of goes a lot more fun if this is interactive and not just me presenting. Um, so I, I share so far what I've shared um, knowing that if you would like to know more or if you're curious about something um, I'm a safe person to ask and, and to explore or to get curious about certain things. Uh, you can't offend me I've worked with addicts for over 15 years it, you can't offend me um, and yeah so I'll pause there for just a second and does anybody have any any burning desires of questions that you're thinking or wondering or Anything is game.
2: I just say well done.
1: Thank you. Hard work. Thank you. It's it's um, this journey. Whether you sit where I'm sitting, or you're sitting where you're sitting, or you're sitting on the periphery and you're just kind of observing, there's not a person who loves an addict or alcoholic that doesn't go through this and and come out with some wounds, (coughs) right? Like that's just the nature of the game. Um. I used to just tell parents, I would do a family workshop and we would, we would talk about um, Al-Anon. Anybody do the Al-Anon game? Did, do, some, no? Who has been encouraged to go to Al-Anon and you're like, no, I'm not going. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your honesty. It's hard, it's hard. Um, and I have found that when we show up in rooms like this and we realize that we're not alone, there's this like magical healing thing that happens, and I can't describe it. And so, I I, I just have to encourage people to go and, and show up and, and be a part of if that is something that um, might be helpful for you. And I don't know everyone's stories, and so I'll I'll save the part where I really encourage you to get to Al-Anon because that's where the healing happens. Um, Do you want us to go to I'll save that. <laughs> I'll, I'll save you guys from that. <laughs> um, but this is this is a similar. Um, environment right like a safe space to come and know that you're not alone um, addiction the disease of addiction is isolating no matter where you sit and that acknowledging that and then allowing yourself to be seen by others and connect with others being the antidote is one of the most difficult parts and pieces of of the journey um, so I commend you for being here. And um, I know for many, it would be so much easier and um, might feel a little safer if you were just at home right now. But you're not. You're here, and and I think that's powerful. Um, the topic of reacting versus responding, I want to kind of just go over some general um, communication style information, if you will. Um, How many of you are really good listeners? Oh, that was so sweet. She pointed, she pointed to her partners.
3: However.
1: However. (laughs) (laughs) But there was a however. (laughs) My
2: husband had a stroke a year ago and he's got aphasia, which is a language disorder. So he's only hearing maybe 50% of your words. Got it. Input, output. So I just wrote, I'm writing notes so he can, so I can translate what you're saying to him. Yeah, He's a super good listener, I'm the talker. Uh, but anyhow, uh, but you said disease of addiction and I put an aphasia is very isolating. Nobody understands what she's Right, died,
1: so. right. thank you for sharing that. Um, I think that it's, Im- it's important to acknowledge <coughs> all of those um, differentiators and isolators. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to share or is comfortable um, acknowledging, if you suffer from depression, anxiety, substance use yourself, coping mechanisms that are not healthy or maladaptive or um, might be harming you in some way, those are all natural isolators. Those are all things that create separation and it is that's how it stays alive. I mean, that's how the disease of addiction really, like stays alive is you just create enough of a, of a distance, keep everyone about this far away so they can't smell anything and they can't see my pupils, just keep everything this far away. But then that's how the disease continues to grow. And so it requires us to, on so many levels, get vulnerable, get open, um, be willing to hear hard things. And that's really um, a big part, a big portion of of this topic that I hope that we explore together is when we hear hard things. When um, when we're being good listeners and we hear it, and it's not what we wanted to hear. What happens here in your chest and belly? Who knows what I'm talking about? Like when it's like, defensive, oh, defensive tight. defensive, tight. I, my heart rate goes gets fast. I start thinking of all the things and also none of the things. Like said, n- not a lot makes a whole lot of sense because my heart rate is up. My, I'm, my, my breath is rapid. I am like, I can, I can feel it, right? Anybody relate to that, right? Like that's so common. And we don't always acknowledge that in those moments where we could say, excuse me a minute, I'm noticing something happening, <laughs> right? Like that's not usually our norm. It's because of the tightness, it's because of the defensiveness. It's because of the reaction that we tend to go into the regret of saying things that we don't mean. Um, and what does it feel like to respond versus react when you get heated? And so I'm going I'm gonna share with you, and this might seem super basic, and you might be like, That's it. Um, And yes, what I'm about to show you really is it. I want you to envision air coming in through your nose, filling up your, your core. And I want you to envision that same breath of air leaving your nose. Do it again. We're gonna envision air coming in through our nose How does it change our bodies? What temperature is it? Get mindful about the air. This is important. Get mindful about the air that's coming in. And just take a moment. What does it feel like? Where does it go when it leaves your body? What color is it when it leaves your body? What temperature is it? It's warmer when it leaves your body. How many of you pay attention to that? On any regular basis or, or even when you're just like being intentional and mindful or in meditation or prayer. We don't, we don't pause, right? We don't um, give ourselves the opportunity and we don't give anybody else the opportunity because that's the, the dance within the communication. If we're not giving the other person the opportunity to also maybe pause and breathe, because I don't know about you, John, but when you talk about like getting defensive, I can go like rapid fire, Right. And like I said, think all the things, but none of the things I'll say all the things and it will sound like none of the things, but I'm like rapid fire. Right. Who does that serve? You.
2: <laughs>
1: nobody. But nobody. It serves me for like two seconds because I'm like zinger, jab, yeah! bam. But then it, it hurts. It hurts everything. Nobody wins when I do that even for those two seconds and I'm like yeah take that everyone loses and so I I want to encourage you in, and I, I use the phrase like an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure this is not something that you try in the heat of the moment <laughs> this is something that you practice um, do you, do you all have prayer and meditation practices where you get quiet this is something that you can do during that time just getting quiet and allowing yourself to be present because that's also something that we really struggle with whether we're interacting with others or whether we're just up here in our heads like we've got stuff to do we've got lists and we've got things and we've got expectations and we've got and we just stay up here and we have our phones and we've got right like people need us and we need to respond and we've got like all the demands of everybody else but when we pause and we practice that method. And uh, you, uh, I dare, I dare you, I dare any of you, practice it for 21 days. And I'll put my phone number up. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't help you on a significant, like, marked level, have different conversations with people, I will give you your money back from today. Um. <laughs> when is
2: Easter and, like, 21 days from now? I
1: think, I think it might be. Thank you. Look at that. That's so beautiful practice it for the next few weeks just give it a go um if nothing else you will have just been mindful and it not actually impacted anything or made anything better but the the actual act of being mindful and present when you're not in the throes of it allows you it's that pound of cure it allows you and gives you the tools that you need when those conversations start to get real heated. How many of y'all have heated conversations with? Lots of you are here with a, a partner of sort of. How many of you have heated conversations with, with your partner? No, nobody ever? Yes? Yeah. Is it. Yes. Is it, what is it generally about? What is it generally about? blaming stupid things. Stupid things often represent other things. It's like, you didn't take the trash out. I'm not really mad that you didn't take the trash out. I'm mad that I feel disrespected that you don't listen. Right? It's not really about the trash. I think it's called N-A-G-G-I-N-G. Oh, John. John, we'll we'll talk later. (laughs) I'll carve out some time for y'all later. (laughs) Uh, what else, do, what else do we get heated about? Or have a disagreement or a conflict within each other? Yeah, our identified person, right? That's what we call it in treatment, the, the, identified, the identified patient is what, um, because the, the whole family system is impacted. But a lot of focus, and especially when they go to treatment, all the focus is on them. And I would used to tell families, which is why I really harped on um, Al-Anon or doing therapy or getting into your own support network, is that if your loved one is away at treatment, they're getting all the attention. They've got five or six people they can probably go to at any point during the day, knock on a door, go to the next one, knock on a door. Somebody will welcome them in and say, have a seat, let's talk. Where do you find that? nowhere you don't have that you don't have access to that that's not the system isn't set up like that and so we find ourselves on this side of things with whatever they're doing and it's, it's not even when they're only in treatment it's it's all the time all the attention is focused on them what are they doing why are they doing it when are they gonna stop doing it and there's no real attention or focus for the people who are sitting and watching and loving this identified patient, this prodigal child, this loved one who's slowly hurting themselves. But we're slowly hurting too. And sometimes it feels like a fast-moving train of hurt. Other times it feels like a slow-moving train of hurt because we can compartmentalize and just like, we just got to focus on on what's going on with whomever because that's really where the energy needs to be. But I challenge you, if you are one that, that really connects with that, and maybe you've even said that to your partner or you've said that to somebody else or a therapist may have said, hey, go to Al-Anon or go to therapy, and you're like, there's no time for that. We've got to help Junior. We've got, like, all energy is focused on whomever. I really challenge you to allow for somebody to pour into you. I really encourage you to go somewhere where you can show up and just be a ball of tears if you want to be, snot and all. If you want to go and and find other people and hear them laugh and wonder how are they laughing, and then you learn how they're smiling and laughing despite what's going on. But we don't do that in isolation. We do that in community. We do that in connection with others but community and connection with others leads to conversation and communication. Communication leads to potentially reactions and things not being um, explained or um, verbalized exactly how we want Anybody ever do that? I, I, what I wanted to say was this, but what came out was that. Right? <laughs> right? Semantics That's, matter. Oh, semantics matter a lot. Words are important. Um, but if we go back to that silly, simple pay attention to the air that's coming into your nose everything slows down just a little bit and i tell you the difference between a reaction that you are going to potentially regret versus a response that you have paused for a moment and thought through the difference is in, within that first breath it's within that pause it changes the potential trajectory of the whole conversation. It changes your feelings potentially about the entire um, context of the conversation. And so it it's worth a shot when we think about how it's impacting us to pause and pour into ourselves, because if you're not willing to go to Al-Anon or go to therapy yourself or this might be the only place that you're willing to come, which I think is fantastic, thank God that this exists, right? But if you don't have anybody really pouring into you, you can pour into yourself in that moment where you pause and you breathe. All you need is a second to connect with God. All you need is that second to picture the air coming in through your nose. I'm going to say it over and over and over again because sometimes people forget if they're not used to the practice. But we pause and we let air come in through our nose. There's literally nothing that you need to say that is so important that if you, if you forget about it, that's probably the best. Um, but if it's really important, you'll, it'll come back to you. What happens when we're communicating, not just with amongst ourselves, but with our prodigal child? How do those conversations go? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's really it's difficult because so many things that come out of their mouths are, are horrific to hear and wretched. I hear you. Yeah, thank you. What happens physically to you in those situations? To be sad.
2: And now I feel like yeah. mm-hmm.
1: That's what the disease of addiction does, right? Steals them away. And then, mm, all by myself. of family's
2: just not there. Yeah.
1: So when you pause and breathe and pour into yourself for those moments, It might feel really challenging.
4: I feel like,
3: you know, we've done a lot for him. He's terrific ungrateful. Although when he himself he's not. Mm. But when he's having one of his psychotic episodes it's just really awful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's important for you to find people to pour into you and then learn to pour into yourself at the same time. We have reactions with ourselves. You ever thought about that? Usually, the reaction or response is in um, co- usually in the context of engaging with another person. You get triggered, fireworks go off. How do we respond to ourselves? Yes.
2: I'm doing a holistic health and wellness program. Great. So January going before me, so um, it's holistic in that it's not a diet, it's eating healthy, staying away from sugar, which is inflammatory, Mm -hmm. Um, basically um, fresh, organic, if God didn't make it, don't eat it, no processed foods, eat the rainbow little meat, so that's the nutrition part, Mm -hmm. but it's also a mindset part and a positive mindset part, Mm -hmm. so there's all these things I could tell you, but my latest simple mantra is... And we, I have to preach to myself like 24-7 about this one. Any negative thought is an acronym for ant. A-N-T. You don't only see one ant, usually. There's an army of ants, correct? Correct. So, A-N-T-S. Any negative thought. Stop it. <laughs> Isn't that simple? I like love three.
1: it. I love it. Yeah,
2: but it's easier said than done, right? So... Our most recent prodigal, he's been a prodigal before. Married 12 years, almost 40. Eight page hate letter to me. Everything that's ever happened since he was four. Accusatory, 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 accusatory. I'm like, you talking about me? (laughs) You know, who are you talking about? So thank you for any negative thoughts. Stop, ha, but six hours of counseling, Couple thousand dollars later, we've been both going. He can't hear what the counselor's saying. You know, <laughs> I'm writing you notes know? because it it's killing him too. Yeah. It's not just me; it's a mama heart wound. Yeah, but my husband almost died last year. So did I. And I'm like, you're kicking a dead horse right now. Are yeah. you kidding me, son? Yeah. And our youngest, who's eight years sober, seven years sober, is getting married in May. We have a family merit wedding, and there's gonna be. My son and his wife not want to talk to us.
4: <sighs>
2: so we don't know. We've done what we can, but he won't even come to the table to talk. He yeah. won't go to the counselor to talk. He wants me to respond to every accusation he's yeah. made about me, line by line. And I'm like, I'm not doing that, not without a professional there. No, right. no. <laughs> so anyway, no yeah. requests, but um, John thought it was about them and I'm like, No, it's about us. <laughs> we need help. So we've stopped going to counseling because there's no point. Yes, I've got issues, yes, he's got <laughs> issues, but it's like, but this is between me and Ryan. This is between us, sorry, didn't mean to say his name. <laughs> anyway, us and our son. And um, anyway, it is what it is, but it's yeah. so challenging. Yeah. I'm like, you're <coughs> why now? Why now?
1: <laughs> it makes me think of the hula hoop.
2: Well, yes.
1: What do you have control over and oh, what do you good. not have control over? And it's the serenity prayer, right? Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can. Me. And dear God, the wisdom to know the difference. Because sometimes I get confused. That's not really part of the prayer. That last part, I added that. But but like it's so easy to get confused about what we can and can't control. And that's why the breath, come, coming back to it, is such a simple... easy way, it's one of the only autonomic physical responses in our body that we have control over. We breathe when we're not thinking, but when we think about it, we can control our breathing. That's so cool. And it connects to everything. Think about when your heart rate, or when you start to breathe heavy, your heart rate speeds up, you start to get warm. Like it impacts all of your systems. Every part of your body is impacted by that. And so if we can get real ramped up, with our breath, then we can get the opposite. And it is hard. There are no quick fixes or easy answers, I'm afraid. But it's worth the work to figure out what's inside of your hula hoop, which is right here, is inside my hula hoop. I can, I can change the way that I'm breathing if I want to. That last part is sometimes the hard part. Sometimes I don't want to. Sometimes it feels good to be angry and it feels good to let somebody have it. But hurt people hurt people. And so our job is, as people who love an addict or alcoholic, our job is to take care of ourselves. Our job is to um, do all the things that we can do to be healthy and okay, knowing that yes, the issues are going to remain between as long as there's conflict. As long as they're doing something that's, that we don't want them to do. But our only course of action is right here. It's within ourselves. It's taking that breath. And I started talking a little bit about reacting to ourselves. Um, anybody really, like, beat themselves up when you, like, don't do something perfectly? Or you're like, I wish I had said this instead of that. Or, like, you get into a little bit of, like, dang it. Oh, Terrence is like. You know.
4: uh,
1: anybody else relate to that? Like you, we stay kind of. Um, I call it um, pain shopping. It's like we'll um, we'll just go over the situation over and over and over and over and over. Nothing actually changes, except for that we feel worse about ourselves, right? Guess what I'm going to tell you to do when you start to ruminate? Breathe. (laughs) Through your nose, picture it coming in your chest. What does it do? How does your body change? What color is it? And watching the same breath of air leave. Because then we get a chance to respond to ourselves with love and with compassion and maybe curiosity. I don't know how many of y'all have had the luxury of just getting curious about your journey not having judgment not having criticism not feeling failure not worrying about all the details that you don't have any control over but if you just got curious i wonder why that upsets me so much i wonder why i react like that i wonder what would happen if i didn't i wonder what would happen if I just told somebody what was really going on inside of me. Curiosity and compassion for ourselves. And again, this is an ounce of prevention. It's worth a pound of cure. Trying to grasp onto compassion and curiosity when you are in the spiral. You all know what I'm talking about. When you're just like beating yourself up over, oh, why didn't I? Trying then to pull from your, your bucket of compassion and curiosity is going to be very difficult if you've not been practicing that. And so we practice compassion and curiosity in the same way that we practice our breath work. We do it on a regular basis. We do it consistently so that it's kind of like going to the gym, right? When I first go to the gym and I haven't been in a while, I pick up the five pounds and I'm like, ooh. Next time, ouch, right? Next time I might be able to do like the 10 pounds and then before I know it, I'm at the 15 and then I'm like, whoa, yeah, feeling really good. It gets easier. You are engaging in a strength training When you practice compassion and curiosity with yourself and with your partner and with your loved one and with your prodigal child, your identified patient, your whomever that loved one is in your life that probably gets you spun up faster than anybody else. Have you ever just sat with curiosity and compassion for yourself around that situation? Or do you immediately go into beating yourself up and blaming yourself and shame and questions and anger, and which are all so normal? They're all so normal. But there's a, another space that we can create, and that is with the curiosity and compassion. Because everything really is fueled by... Um, our basic needs all behavior is wanting our basic needs to be met right so whenever and this might be for another topic a different day but the idea of getting curious about your loved one's behavior being to try to to fill a need meet a need is a very different experience than the initial or the um, repetitive anger that comes from kind of like the same story over and over and over again. When's this going to stop? I just encourage you to get curious and compassionate. And that might seem like, why on earth would I do that? And what does that even look like? But that's where I would also say to pour into yourself. And if you're not in therapy, if you don't have a counselor, if you don't have a safe space to go and just let it all there, just let it out that is a safe space to do and to get curious and to maybe ask your therapist why did that crazy lady tell me to get curious about my son's addiction i don't need to get curious i know that it makes me crazy and it makes me scared and angry and sad but if you pause breathe through your nose slow down just a little bit just a little bit goes a long way and you allow yourself to get curious and have compassion for yourself because anybody in here blame yourself for what's going on with your loved one? Of course. Of parents do. Parents, I mean, that's what we do, right? Like I've got an eight-year-old and we have a therapy fund and a college fund. Like it just is, right? Because his mom's a therapist who's a triple winner addict, right? Like it's just, (coughs) I pray he didn't hit all of the branches of the tree when he came down. Um, But the apple didn't fall far. And we have to remember that even though they are our children, they're not in our hula hoop anymore. And even though we want to have more control or we want to have more impact, we want to be able to to do something, we are powerless over them and we're powerless over their disease. And so when we get curious about that shame, that blame. That's where the the magical healing, again, starts to happen, where we can start to let go. We can let it fall away from us. I was telling John about a visualization that I do with um, different clients, and it's usually in the context of needing to grieve or or let go of something or um, move through something, right? Like you're in transition, you're trying to to, – you're feeling stuck maybe. And I encourage folks to – picture themselves as a tree and actually let's do it let's do it now Um, if you feel safe if you want to you can close your eyes if not you can um, stare off into the wild yonder and watch me um, (laughs) guide you through a visualization that involves branches and roots Um, so close your eyes if you feel safe and begin to pay attention to your breath No judgment, no criticism, just curiosity and compassion. Picture the air coming in through your nose, filling up your core, watching that same breath of air as it leaves your body. Just be aware of your breath in this moment. If other thoughts come in, you can gently place them on a leaf and put it on a stream and watch the water float away from you and until it disappears. Thoughts are okay when they come in. We can also just let them go out. On your next inhale, I want you to breathe in roots of a tree extending from the base of your spine and the soles of your feet. And these roots go in deep to Mother Earth. They anchor you in. You are safe. I want you to breathe in I am safe. On your next inhale, the branches start to grow. And at first there are leaves on the branches. But it's about to be fall. And the leaves start to fall away from the branches. They're really beautiful. We try to hold on. But with each inhale in and exhale out, more of the leaves fall away. When those leaves are falling away from our, our branches, our bodies, we can visualize different things that we may want to or need to let go of. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's resentment, maybe it's fear, maybe it's that last conversation, maybe it's blame. but the leaves fall away so naturally because that's what mother nature does. And it creates space in the branches. Creates space for something new that will come to life, not right away, but in time. But we have to go through the release of those leaves in order to create the space for something new. On your next inhale, you can begin to come back to the room. Wiggle your fingers and toes. Check out your body. See if there's any tension that crept in while we were focusing on our breath. Begin to blink your eyes open. And knowing that an exercise like that doesn't solve any of the world's problems. It doesn't solve the fact that our loved ones are still going to do what our loved ones are going to do. We don't have a lot of control over that, but what we do have control over is how we respond to ourselves and how we respond to the really hard situations that each of you are, are facing. When I think of addiction, it is, it is something that no one would, no one that I know would ask for, right? Like who would, who would ask for this? And the tools of recovery that an addict or alcoholic learns in, in 12 steps or in treatment can also be the tools and skills that you all learn as family members to get healthy as well. And, and here's the secret. You all can get healthy even if your loved one decides they don't, they don't want to or they're not going to. And that is really hard to come to terms with. Especially if you are in a place of reaction and shame and blame and uh, tightness, right? But I assure you, I used to do family therapy sessions and I would turn because the, fam- the disease of addiction is a family disease, right? Like y'all, y'all got a little sick as part of the process too, not just your loved one. And I would turn to the addict or alcoholic and I would say, you can get well even if they don't, even if they decide not to. And then I would turn to the family and I would say, and you can get better, even if they decide not to. And that's, that's a really important part of like, the healing journey. And really, it's not going to um, be easy breezy rainbows, butterflies, and sunshine. But the ounce of prevention and the investment that you put into yourself to heal yourself can only help your loved one if and when they decide that they want to get better because y'all staying sick and if they decide to get better and you stay sick you're not helping you're hurting and so our job is to do the work even if they're not gonna we do the work we show up we get healthy even when it's breaking our heart even when it feels like we can't do it anymore that's our job because a lot of people get better. A lot of our prodigal child that children come back, they do. And so we got to be ready. We got to be healthy and in in the space that is only going to benefit further health. And frankly, you owe it to yourself to take the time. If all of your energy has been focused on reacting to your loved one, Please stop. I know that's hard to do. But I also know that you can do hard things. Because you've done hard things. And we're all capable of doing hard things. Yes, please. Please, absolutely.
3: I was just going to say, you can get stuck in a rut. Yeah. And when your prodigal is using... And has been using for years and then all of a sudden he's not anymore and I had to ask myself the question well how am I supposed to feel now because <laughs> I'd felt whatever way you want to label it that way for so long yeah the thing that has helped me more than anything along with coming to these meetings are my family's anonymous meetings. Yes. And, you know, if you haven't been, if you don't go, I would encourage you to go to that. Certainly go to the therapist as well. That's right. um,
1: <laughs> I did not but, pay her to say that. I'm just I telling
3: you, I go me. every Tuesday night, and, and it's talking about being able to get into a safe place
4: mm-hmm.
3: and be real.
1: Where is that meeting?
3: That one is over at Mount Bethel. Mount Bethel. Uh-huh, church, the yellow building. Okay. The big yellow. Y'all know where that means. Roswell. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Okay. So. And that's Tuesday night? Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. I swear I didn't pay her to say all that. <laughs> Normally I do have like a, somebody in like the front row, that will be like, go to Island On. Our family is anonymous. It, it doesn't matter where you go. Just go. Just go. Thank you so much. Other comments or questions, or this is perfect time.
5: Just a, just a comment of, you know, you talked about the, the strength training, and, you know, for, for us it's been time, um, and you, you have to remember that, I mean, it's back to the, you know, the Nancy Reagan days at the commercial of this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs.
1: Right.
5: You have to separate between, you have to remember who your child was You've got to keep reaching back to that yeah. because you know with any um, um, you know delivery in any you know a group like this or my son wants to carry um, is you 99% of the the addicts that are up there will tell you they didn't if they knew what had come out of their mouth they're mortified yeah. they're they're ashamed they're. Yeah. You know, it's just, you, you can't reconcile with a brain that's on drugs or reconcile with, you know, even the, the schizophrenic mind, whatever it may be. You just, I, it, it, it's its not as easy to say, don't take it personal, but you can't take it personal. Right. But it takes a long time to get there. Yeah. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. And it takes yeah. work like this to, yeah. to be able to separate that. I know my child, and this is not my child.
1: Yeah. That was beautifully said. I've had many conversations where it's it can be helpful to think of your loved one with kind of a, a split personality, where there's like a dual. There is the addict, and then there's your loved one. And when the addict hijacks your loved one's brain, that's who you're dealing with when it's the the frustration and the lies and the right, like just all the pain and the the hurtful things. And so being able to separate and, and say to yourself, and I've had to do that with with patients but friends like that's not you and I'm not I'm not really gonna spend a ton of time trying to interact and change that which is not you because it's it's like trying to reason with with a crazy person it just it's a wall yeah you're better served going to your own meeting or going to your own therapist and doing some work for yourself than to try to reason with or and not that we don't want to confront um, but to try to make sense of it. You can't make sense of something that makes no sense. And yet that is what we do as humans. We try to attach meaning and make sense of things that make no sense. Mm-hmm. And the disease of addiction is senseless. It makes no sense.
2: Just to share what this recent event, blindsided us because it came out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> Just like all of a sudden. Um, but to give everybody hope, our younger son about to get married is you now seven years sober, and we had done a family intervention sending them out to California, which was so hard. Yeah. But thank you, God. Um, so, yay! And he's yeah. wearing a godly girl, and just God answers prayer. But you know, Amen. before that, it was how many we've been doing this. How long have y'all existed there? <laughs> oh, no. We've been coming for 20 years, you know, and doing our work. But now we need an aphasia support group, and I'm like, I don't want to be here, y'all. Right. I'm sorry, <laughs> there is no such thing as an aphasia support group. Yeah, and it's, I mean there is in Jacksonville. Where we, did. anyway, that's a whole other story. But to give y'all hope, hello. Mm-hmm. And so the younger one wants to do like an intervention on the older child. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, it's yeah. interesting to see, right. you know, because our oldest helped do the intervention on our youngest mm. eight seven years ago. So, yeah. mm-hmm. okay, you're never done, mm. <laughs> but there's hope. Yeah, thank you. The day we bury our buried, buried will be parents, right? Right. And have sleepless nights, but I've found a new help also meditating. At night, I have I had been sleeping well because of this health and wellness thing. Mm-hmm. And then this happened just a couple of weeks ago. And I started putting on meditative prayer, Psalm 91, mm-hmm. repeating itself wow. over. It's a prayer that. of protection, y'all.
4: God's Love Word can
5: return void.
2: And it works. <laughs> I don't have to think. I just listen and do the breathing, mm-hmm. and it so works. Yeah.
1: yeah. So. I like to think about... Um, those types of practices that when you find what works it doesn't really matter what it is or how it works and even if you can't describe it I think of it like electricity I don't really know how it works I just know that when I flip the switch like something happens and so I know that when I get into a place of meditation or prayer or breath work something happens and it's and it's a lot like a light going off um or if it's a really glaring light it dims it a little bit so you can see it a little bit better. Um, John had something
0: Katie you know when you were talking about that breathing it just made me remember that's scriptural yeah. Psalm 46 10 says be still and know no, I'm God. God and so when you were describing that and I was doing it with you when you take that breath in as God is saying I'm telling you to be still and knowing, but breathing in is life yes. you're breathing in life and exhaling death basically Yeah. So you're exhaling carbon dioxide right
1: out. Exactly.
0: So it's, it's amazing how it's just God is saying this to us. Mm-hmm. Breathing, be still. No, I'm, I'm in control. Mm-hmm. Breathe in life and breathe out death or breathe out whatever you want to call it, negativity. But
1: mm-hmm. to me,
0: that's scriptural. It's very it scriptural.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's a great point.
6: Yes? Um, a friend of mine who's been on this road longer than I have, told me something recently and I remembered it this morning I thought, okay, I need to work on that. And it was very wise. She said, separate your child's identity from their behavior mm. and ask God, God, who do you say my child is? Yeah, Who do you say they are? And list, sit and listen and wait mm. for God to say, you know, precious, loved, mm. whatever it is, and then start speaking those things over your child yeah when you're with them like, yeah you are so loved you mm. are precious in our eyes and in God's eyes. and she said that is the turning point for her kid when she started speaking yeah. his identity over him that's yeah. when he started to turn around. because Beautiful. before that every time she looked at him there was worry fear and doubt in her eyes and when she started looking at his identity
1: when she spoke to him, it was a completely different. Mm. And yeah, just got chills. Um, the power, the power of um, our thoughts, mm-hmm. and the power of um, summoning like that prayer, right? And like speaking those words over. Yeah. That is, um, it changes. There's, there's, um, there's some science behind this as well. Um, the neuroplasticity and within our brains that we can create new neural pathways and we can create new um, ways of expressing our energy and our energy is with us always right and so what you're talking about what i'm hearing is that when we're thinking like energetically um you're you're an addict and you're a liar and you're and i'm just thinking of words that people have said to me right like (laughs) and you can't be Can't be counted on and you can't you know, you don't follow through on anything and what's wrong with you? Energetically I can feel that from people. And I I can take on that energy, whether you're saying it or not. But when but when we switch and we have the power to change our thoughts, when we switch it up and we say, Child of God, precious I love you use the word precious, that's what it chills. Like that, that changes us energetically as well. And that changes, that also leads to a difference in how we respond, react, right? I react to a drug addict very differently than I respond to a precious child of God. Every time, I'm human, every time. <laughs> it's just part of, it's, it's part of our wiring and part of just human nature. But we can control, and, and again, I think of like summoning that Information and that call that to to pray those words over your children changes everything. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much. Yeah, chills. What other questions or thoughts? In AA, we say any burning desires. Yes.
5: After all my prayers and all my friends' prayers and the church's prayers and everybody else, yeah. and nothing changes, you know, I have yeah. a real
6: hard time yeah. with my own prayer life. You know. Yeah, I'm trying to do that. It's I
1: wanna, I want, <laughs> I wanna caution you to not have judgment of yourself. God's big enough to handle your anger. just is. And while I hate that too, that there's not something tangible that you can see, he's big enough for all of your feelings around it. Compassion and curiosity. What you're feeling is so incredibly normal and valid. Give yourself that space. We tend to, um, therapeutically we talk about increasing our suffering when we resist an emotion and so when we resist something it's it's a paradox it's kind of like well if I go through if I let myself go there then I'm going to be like all in it and it's like nah for like a minute right because emotions are like waves they come and none of them ever last forever there's never been a, a wave in the history of man that has lasted forever and there's never been an emotion in the history of man that has lasted forever it feels like it emotions come and emotions go I really encourage you to um, release that. God's not mad at you or upset with you because you're angry. God's big enough for that. He's okay. He's, there's Whatever you need to do, and, and, and if you want to talk after, I'd be happy to sit with you, but whatever you need to do to, to release that guilt and shame around your very human and normal and valid emotional reaction to something that is so devastating that is where I would put my energy if I were you that is where I would spend my time not not on trying to save the addict or alcoholic because we've tried that and it doesn't do a whole lot and so spend your time and energy healing that those parts of you. you you are worthy and deserving of grace that God wants you to feel around all of those difficult emotions. They're not easy. They're not fun. We don't want them. God's grace is bigger. Thank you for sharing.
2: Psalm 139, it says, you know, you're fearfully, wonderfully lit. So you might as well say it, because he knows what you're thinking, and I, it, it's a detox, and he knows it anyway, and you might as well get it out as with him. Mm. You know, he's very safe. Mm. <laughs> he loves us, you know, and I mean, he is the safest person. We can tell all about it, too. Right. Really. Right. He's not going to hit the lightning bolt on us, you know, because yeah. we're angry and frustrated right. and sad. and and it's all your fault, God. You let him become it. an addict.
5: It's so hard sometimes because we wait and we wait and we say, when, the or, waiting room when is, so hard. is this going to happen? And a lot of times I think he's working on us to say, he's saying, trust me. Yeah, yeah. Are my you timing. trusting my me? Way. It's my timing, not yours. Yeah. And sometimes it takes a long time and we have to realize we may not see it on this side of the earth. That's right. Um, but it's just the trusting that we have got to release released this to him and um, God's working behind the scenes you know he's working behind the Always. scenes and we don't know what's going on mm-hmm. You know, but he's He's building their story yeah. and ours too yeah
0: mm-hmm. you know Thank the you. other thing is I can't see your name bang, but man King David in the Psalms mm-hmm. poured out his heart to God mm-hmm. and God said you're a man after my own heart mm-hmm. So we we teach a chapter on anger, and we have all these psalms that David wrote about, God, when are you going to do this? How much longer am I going to suffer? When is this going to end? And, you know, we we read them with emotion because that's how we feel. And then we read the other psalms where God is comforting them saying, it's okay. Like Katie said, I'm a big God. (laughs) I can handle this, and you're looking at it with blinders because you want it to happen now. It's like that old thing, God, give me patience, and give it to me now. (laughs) But it, and you know this its all in his timing and it's taken us years to learn this but at some point God is saying do you trust me or not
4: mm-hmm.
0: do you believe in my word or not and it's okay to doubt me and have frustrations because King David did if you read some of those psalms you go oh man <laughs> I feel that way well so did King David and God see you man after my own heart. Mm-hmm. you're not alone and we've and all had those thoughts. Mm-hmm. thank you
1: Other thoughts or questions?
2: Katie, what do you know uh, about um, Adderall and um, alcohol and um, Prozac combination? Um, uh, Long-term
1: Adderall. Not good. I mean, (laughs) so Adderall, alcohol, Prozac, anytime that you're on a – antidepressant, SSRI, and you are taking any other substances like Adderall or specifically more so alcohol, it becomes less effective. So if you're taking it to to deal with depression or anxiety or whatever it is that it's been prescribed for, um, any alcohol will lessen the impact. So you're kind of wasting your money. If you're going to drink, don't take your your Prozac because it's not doing a whole lot anyway. Um, I'm not a medical provider, and I did not just tell anybody to not take their medicine. You do, you do what you're supposed to do. But, but thinking about right, like the impact of it, it's kind of like, it's not doing a whole lot. Um, Adderall has a, a different impact on the brain, and some people report that it can be a, um, a mood enhancer. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an amphetamine, right? And so it's, it's speed. Um, and so some people will say that when they are prescribed, and I'm gonna talk about this in two different caveats. One is I'm prescribed Adderall and I'm not an addict. Um, it, can be, it can be used in a healthy way. It does not always have to be um, horrible or wrong or lead to long-term addiction. Over here, the addiction side, whatever I take to make my brain look like the 4th of July makes my brain look like the Fourth of July. And so that's Adderall, that's Vivance, that's, um, I mean, alcohol is a depressant, but it still lights up the part of your brain that, that, right? Like, and a non-addict alcoholic can drink the alcohol and it's just like maybe a sparkler, <laughs> right? Addicts alcoholics, we take the thing and it's Fourth of July. And so Depending, and there's probably a lot of things I should ask before making any more comments, <laughs> but um, it, it really depends on the person. And But really the concern I would have is the alcohol's impact on the Prozac um, more than anything else. Unless they are um, an amphetamine taking five a day. addict, abusing it, not taking it as prescribed, then you've got a whole other host of issues. Then I'm not as worried about what's going on with the Prozac because there's something else really big going on. That not even Prozac will solve if you stop drinking. It's a slippery slope.
2: Mm-hmm. And, and safe, like if you just cut it off, try to detox in a day from all that.
1: Um, so I would never suggest that anybody ever detox themselves off of alcohol. Um, alcohol, you can um, have deto- um, DTs, lots of withdrawal symptoms, um, seizures. So if anybody's going to go through an, an alcohol detox, I encourage that to be medically monitored. Um, Prozac, you're not going to die or catch fire if you stop that. Um, Adderall, um, there's some mixed um, reviews about, right, like you, you probably want that to be medically monitored as well. Um, I just heard of a
2: suicide from an older person, or age I don't know how old, but a suicide from Adderall, supposedly only Adderall, so that's why
1: interesting so,
2: yeah. but who knows I don't know the right. story all
1: I know is that yeah so. really mm-hmm. I mean I'm, I guess it's possible um, sorry that's awful yes
4: so um, so when after we work on ourselves the breathing and calm down and we have, we're ready to have like a normal conversation a while ago, what are what are something that we can say to get to understand what are they feeling what are the deep down struggle that they have without sounding like we're accusing and controlling? Because I, I think maybe it's my language, like it, it could be how we're brought up, we're more direct. Um, how, yeah. do we, how do we really try to really understand and have compassion for what they're going through? Yeah. What question, you, not to, but ask a bunch of questions, how do you start that?
1: I would say that the strength training that you're gonna be doing with your mindfulness and your breathing and having compassion for yourself is going to lead you to have the muscles necessary to have a different response to your loved one when they start to answer questions. Or if you ask, it's going to come out in a different way. Um, I know that's not a real tangible answer. Um, How old is your loved one?
4: Uh, He's 20. Okay.
1: Um,
4: It's kind of timely because we 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 haven't talked to him for two and a half months and we're gonna have a conversation on Saturday with him for the first time. So yeah, we know we're walking into a confrontation, so that briefing exercise is gonna help us a lot. Yeah. Um, but then we also want to like, just let him talk, I guess, but then how do you guide him to try to understand his feeling and what, what he's truly struggling so that we can lead him to get some help?
1: So this gets tricky, and if he is actively using, there's not going to be a lot of authenticity coming from his self, right? Like if he's actively high or actively drinking, drugging, um, that may not be, I don't discourage you from wanting to have that conversation, but I want to level your expectations that you may not have the heart to heart, right? He may not be able to go there because again, addict, your son, addict is in control. Your son's brain has been hijacked. And so if you happen to get him in a space where he can be genuine and vulnerable, I always encourage parents to talk from their hearts. Um, It's it's hard to argue with somebody when somebody says, I'm scared for you. It's so easy to get really defensive and um, reactive when somebody's coming at us and saying, you are doing this and you are doing that and you are right like there there's a whole lot of fingers being pointed in in those conversations but when we come to our loved one when we're just scared and we say I'm terrified but that requires you to be vulnerable and for you to be honest and also to be prepared that if he's in his addiction it may not land and so. How do, you, uh, how do you approach that um, with as much vulnerability as your heart will allow? And also knowing that he's no longer in your hula hoop. And so you do your part. You show up and let your heart be seen. Be honest. And then it's up to him. And that is super hard but you can do it. You can do hard things. Thank you.
2: Practicing the I feel about because statements, you know, who talks that way? Sorry, it takes a lot of practice. It's not
1: natural. Weirdo therapists. Weirdo therapists talk that way. (laughs) They say, you made me feel this way. Yeah, right. Instead
2: of, I feel about this drug issue or whatever it is because it scares me i feel scared because you're using i feel threatened because of your verbiage i feel are yeah. oh, you not supposed to see, see say the say that you word are you <laughs> i know you i feel about no. because you
1: know well you out. you can <laughs> i feel scared when you smoke crack is like totally legitimate right like i feel scared when you yeah. so you can use that um but I think that I would re- I would kind of back up just a little bit and ask about the motivation. And this is where it gets real hard with parents because our motivation is I want to help at all costs, meaning like I'll break stuff if I think it's going to be helpful, right? Um, and we break relationships by saying you do this and you do that. And even though you might be saying, and I'm terrified, when we still come at it in an in a accusatory or – Um, blaming or critical way, everything from the other side shuts off. So you're talking to another wall. And so in the spirit of but I'm trying to be helpful. I'm trying to get his attention. Um, If our motivation is I just want to be honest and vulnerable and truthful and authentic there's less resistance and defensiveness that comes from the other party. Um, They might still shut down and say, don't be scared. (laughs) I'm fine. How many of us have heard that? Right. But it depends on what your motivation is, right? Um, And I think that's helpful, too, as far as the respond versus react. If our if our intention is to respond with again curiosity and compassion and i think that's really the heart of what you're asking is when you have that conversation can you be curious and compassionate knowing that something has taken a hold of your son if you can stay there and not get triggered not get hooked into the debate or the argument or the because after that everybody loses I mean, that's, that's the goal when you're in those conversations is don't get hooked but rarely if you're not doing your own work are you successful at not getting hooked our work that we do in, in group settings like this and in therapy and in Al-Anon and Families Anonymous that helps us have kind of like a shield of armor of you can't hook me I'm going to stay in this place of, of only God given curiosity because I, I don't know where else it can come from because it's terrifying, right? Having those conversations, it's horrible. No parent ever looks at their baby and says, gosh, I wonder if someday you're gonna be a baseball player or maybe an addict, or maybe we'll go to treatment. We We don't have the, we're not prepared for that. And that's why we have to get prepared by doing the strength training and doing the pause and doing the breathing and going to the meetings and doing therapy and taking care of yourself that's why we have to engage in those things because it doesn't come naturally. Yet to see it come naturally for someone It's hard. Can you explain Alan and why I've been told to go to Because I don't want to go. Yeah. yeah.
6: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so. Because
6: my son's not an alcoholic.
1: He's it's,
6: doing drug stuff, but he's not an alcoholic. So I, I'm having a hard time with
1: addiction, period. But. So. AA and NA is what is where they go. Al-Anon and Naranon or Families-Anon. Or there's a, also some other um, Celebrate Recovery sometimes has a separate um, for families. If the addict alcoholic goes to one room, then the families go to a different room. It's basically your meeting. So in treatment, we tell patients, um, at least my, the treatment programs I've been a part of, it's 90 meetings in 90 days. So you go to a meeting a day for the first 90 days of your recovery. And oftentimes families are told, try to get there once a week. Again, the disparity between like how much energy is being put towards the addict-alcoholic, which we all assume that that's where it needs to be, but they're not in our hula hoop. (laughs) We gotta focus on us. So Al-Anon or Nar-Anon or Families Anonymous is where people who love an addict-or-alcoholic go to talk about um, really, oddly enough, you don't talk about them a whole lot. I mean, you might in the beginning, but then you'll learn to talk about your codependency, your enabling behaviors, your fear, your um, relationship dynamics, your like all the other stuff that's, that's like right under the surface, but it's hard to get to when all we can talk about is the addict or alcoholic. And so that's where we, that's where people who love an addict or alcoholic go to heal. Um, addicts, alcoholics go to AA or NA. Families go to Al-Anon, Nar-Anon, Families Anonymous. There's also Alateen. If any of y'all have teenagers um, who are also deeply impacted by this, um, Alateen can be a really safe space for them to go and be with other teenagers um, and, and also talk about sometimes the hard stuff and also talk about, like, all the stuff because teenagers, you know, teenagers. Who understands? (laughs) Um, So it's usually led by somebody who, it's not led by like a therapist, so no one's gonna be like telling you. There might be a preamble, every meeting's a little bit different, so they might read something at the beginning and talk about, um, you know, we are all here because we love somebody who's deeply impacted by the disease of addiction, which means that we are deeply impacted by the disease of addiction. They get help and so do we, and this is the space where we do that. Um, And then there's time for sharing. But some of them they they usually have a a little bit of a different flavor. I like to encourage you to go to six meetings, different days of the week, different times of day, different parts of town, because some meetings are going to land on you and you're going to be like, my people, we have arrived. Like you you are going to get each other. It's going to feel like you've come home. Other meetings you're going to walk in and you're going to want to walk right back out. And and so that is common. If you get to a meeting that you're kind of like, oh, that didn't sit quite right. Don't go back to that meeting. Like, you can just cross it off your list. Done. Then they're done that. Don't need to go back. Um, but get, allow yourself to experience it.
3: Are there still meetings here? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Where do you live? I'm going to come pick you up. So you know I can sit there. I <laughs> do
1: I think we've got just a couple more minutes. Anybody else have any questions? Yes, please. Is there an age range of patients, clients, that you would say is your sweet spot that you like to help? Or, or anybody? I mean, yeah, anybody. My, my background is working with professionals. So, I was at a treatment facility that specialized in treating pilots, doctors, attorneys, people who um, have some personality quirks about them, right? Like, there's some narcissism there, which is great for when they're flying a plane or operating on somebody. You want your you want your air, your pilot to be like the most narcissistic, egotist. Any pilots in the room? Before I leave? <laughs> you want your pilot to be like the like biggest ego on the plane. But when you get into recovery, the ego's got to get checked at the door, and it will be the first thing that keeps a pilot from getting help. So I like I I tend to do really well with personality disorders (laughs) and um, and really just just any age Um, I don't do super great with like the 14 or 15 year olds it's too close to my son's age and I just picture all kinds of um, but any any age really yeah
2: so through our recent therapy we've been having fun with um, we came across this teaching uh, which um, I've, I've known about it but not labeled as such attachment identity in um, Emotional Focus Therapy. Mm-hmm. Susan Johnson, are you familiar with
1: um, no? EFT, Emotional Focus Therapy, um, I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with it. I don't have any training in it, but I'm a little bit...
2: Identity, I had never heard of. That I'm not as familiar with. We had to read all about it. But a video mm-hmm. is of a mother-child interaction, mothers playing with the child. Google search it, y'all should watch it. It's really good. Mother's playing with the child, then she stonewalls and makes no reaction to the child. And the child starts acting out to get whatever the child wants, needs, and will scream, shout, throw a fit. And then you see another video of a couple doing the same thing, Mm. a married couple. And he stonewalls and she starts acting out don't you mean what I'm talking about? Don't you love me? You know, and I'm like, oh, hello. <laughs> so it's learned in infancy, this behavior, this dance, yeah. we do or do not do health, in a healthy way or yeah. where we get what we want,
4: we need
1: we'll find a, a, way a We'll
2: lot. find a way. Right. But it's really interesting Susan, to watch yeah. and to yeah. hear this theory by Susan Johnson. She's British, I think. Awesome. That's Emotional cool. Emotional focused therapy. Yeah. So,
1: anyway. Thank you for sharing that. John's coming up any other questions John's coming up nope nope
0: okay
1: gonna stay afterwards, right? I'm going to stay for, for as know, long you as, as you need me to